Welcome to the 206.com podcast. I am your host, Mark Morin, and you are listening to Diversity in Film, a 206 podcast series. This podcast series features in-depth interviews with filmmakers and industry experts discussing the topic of diversity in film. Look for episodes featuring director and activist Lin Chen, director and producer Emily Ting, executive director of the Northwest Film Forum, Vivian Hua, rapper Lex the Lexicon Artist, podcast host and film critic Isabella L. Price, world-renowned Disney film producer Don Hahn, director of marketing for Smart House Creative Amy Simon, film critic and podcaster The People's Critic Tim Hall, lifestyle blogger and film critic Aaron Hunley, actor, activist, and model Anna Lynn McCord. Thank you for listening to the 206.com podcast. Let's get to the interview. the206.com podcast and I am talking with Lex the lexicon artist Lex hello welcome and how are you hey I'm good how are you I'm doing really well thanks for being here I really appreciate you taking the time just tell me and tell us who is Lex the lexicon artist Lex is my independent rap project and I like to describe it as cerebral pop rap inspired by pop culture and life experiences and also multicultural perspectives. I've noticed in your lyrics and your style, it's a very 90s hip hop era vibe. Is that intentional? No, actually, I'm trying to go for early 2000s because that was the kind of music that I listened to during that time. I do mostly rap music, but Mm -hmm. I try to incorporate a whole bunch of different instrumental and musical styles to it as well, including some rock-influenced tracks, some industrial or metal-influenced tracks, and plenty of, you know, pop music and hip-hop, pop music and electro-pop, especially in the new album. So, yeah, while I do have a lot of early 2000s-sounding pure hip-hop tracks, that certainly isn't, like, the box that I confine myself to, and... Yeah, I, I think that there's a little something for everyone if people take the time to listen. Yeah, that's one thing I noticed about the new album, which is called Alter Ego, which was released right at the end of March, is it's very diverse and has a lot of different styles. So it sounds like that was a, a real goal of yours to really have that variety in there, right? Yeah, the, the feedback I've been getting so far is that every track is someone's favorite track, or at least in their top five. And that's something that's really important to me because I think that I have quite a diverse listening base and people are interested in listening to different types of music. And I'm also interested in making different types of music that sound really different and represent different parts of myself, different alter egos of myself, so to speak. Ultimately, I want to showcase all these parts of myself and I want to challenge myself and break out of the box that I'm used to creating, writing, and performing in. And I think it yielded some really good results. You know, I never try to stay with just one style of music. I like to experiment and I really took it to a whole nother level for, for this one because 
I just really wanted it to sound super different and have it appeal to almost everybody you could think of. Some of the songs that really stood out to me were Party Hop, obviously, it's just a super fun vibe to it. And then Famous, I really liked, uh, Posturing, and then also Disappointment. And I think each of those is so different and so diverse. So just from the titles alone, you can tell there's a lot going on there in the songs, both mentally and lyrically. And it doesn't feel like it's just music for the sake of music. There was a lot of intent into every single song. So can you describe the idea behind the album a little more specifically and your overall philosophy behind your music in general? Sure, I would say overall, uh, my philosophy behind music is I never want to be background music. Obviously, my stuff can be played as background music if you would like to, but the focus of the music is almost always, uh, I, I would want my listeners to analyze the lyrics. That's really important to me. I want them to listen to the story, listen to the concepts that I'm weaving, listen to the narrative, and pay attention to my word choice. In a way, I really want people to approach my songs as novels they're reading, because my stuff often caters to people who really like a lot of words, people who are academic types, or people who are just, you know, nerdy word people. You know, that kind of goes to uh, reflect in my name, Lex the Lexicon Artist as well. I want people who are interested in lexicon to you know, pay attention to and analyze the lyrics that I'm writing and uh, really take it apart like they would you know, in Edgar Allan Poe, you know? And I think that that was the main goal for Alter Ego is I did a lot of things differently from the first album. And I feel like a lot of them actually came through. For example, here's some things that I did differently for this album. For example, uh, I did my I did my best to include more melody and singing. I took more risks with the styles of music. I did more collaborations, and I feel like the topics were more you know spiritual and philosophical as opposed to concrete. So when I wrote Raging Ego, a lot of it was this is my experience and I lived through it. So I'm going to talk about my experience of doing this thing, right? Like it's very, very concrete. It's very, very realistic. And it's almost like an audio diary in a sense. But this was a lot different in that I tried my best to write some abstract lyrics as opposed to concrete ones. And so everything sounds a little bit more poetic and not necessarily as literal as the stuff that I've written in the past. So things can be interpreted different ways. Try to make you know, stories about the theme of alter ego, different personalities of yourself that might be living in yourself at any given time. I also use a lot of different concepts in this one. So one of the things that keeps popping up is science. There's some dystopian science fiction in this one. There's, you know, technology metaphors and uh, discussions of time dilation, that sort of thing. So yeah, uh, ultimately I feel like, you know, the writing process of this album was quite a lot different than the previous one. And the focus of it really is the lyrics. Not to say that the music isn't important because I think the music is like the carrying vehicle for the lyrics, but I want the music to complement the lyrics, not to overshadow them. So it definitely isn't just music for the sake of music. It's creating a story and concepts and narratives through song form that's appealing to people. Like Party Hop is appealing because it's fun and dancey. Uh, so is Famous, but both of those kind of carry concepts and stories as well. Yeah, that's really the vibe that I got just from, I've listened to the album just a couple times through, so I'm getting to know it a little bit. It seemed like you did a lot more exploring with Alter Ego, whereas Raging Ego, when I listened to those songs, it was more like you were really kind of opening up who you are to the public and, you know, really kind of expressing yourself. 
almost like I got the vibe like you were expressing yourself for the first time in a lot of ways where alter ego is like hey now you know who I am let's really go deep dive into some thoughts and philosophies do you feel that there was that progression between those two albums Absolutely. I think you totally nailed it. I think Raging Ego is an exploration of myself as an introductory Lex 101. And a lot of the feedback that I got from that album was, this is a great introductory album to what I'm doing. I don't think it breaks any boxes. and I don't think it does anything different from like the precedence of like rap or like nerdcore or whatever. They said that it was a good album, but that it wasn't like, you know, groundbreaking or anything. I was like, okay, I can accept that because that makes sense to me. And I also feel the same way about it. Uh, obviously, like there, the songs on there are, are still good, but I feel like I really took the exploration and concepts and abstract philosophy to a new level in this one because I moved past kind of the one-dimensional analysis of myself. But well, maybe like Raging Ego would be like two-dimensional analysis of myself, and then Alter Ego I would add this new dimension of like, okay, now that you know about me, like here's more about how I think and how my thoughts think. You know what I mean? <laughs> right, right, exactly. Yeah, that's definitely the vibe that I got. So I'm, I'm glad I'm on the right track there with what you were trying to accomplish. I guess that's you are that you were- totally on the right track. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> awesome. and I feel, I feel so happy that people are really picking that up. It's one thing for people to love the album. It's one people for people. Well, it's one thing for people to say, oh, I love these songs. They're great. They're fun. It's another thing for people to understand what I'm going for. And I think most of the listeners do. There are some people who haven't necessarily gotten it, but most people who are listening understand the steps that I was trying to take to differentiate myself from my last album. And I think that's a really important thing to do as an artist is to grow from your last album so that you're not making the same things. I think a lot of sophomore albums suffer from rehashing the last album too much and not really exploring new locations and concepts and I think that I managed to avoid that so that makes me feel good. Now you being an Asian American in the world of hip-hop what are your experiences and thoughts as far as being part of that world? Mm-hmm. It's a really interesting question. I think Asians in hip-hop is starting to get more accepted and starting to get more common especially in recent days. There's like an all Asian hip hop label called 88 Rising that's really popular right now. They've turned out some really big artists like Joji and Rich Brian and the Migos trio from China called the Higher Brothers, right? And that's just three of their roster. And, you know, Aquafina really kind of broke through her rapping thing and entered into the world of film and TV, right? And so I think that Asians in this sort of like hip hop, rap slash music world are getting more shine nowadays. However, I certainly don't think it's still common. I think it's still something that people are trying to get used to, especially Americans. A lot of Asian folks in entertainment find a lot of success in Asia, but because of the perpetual foreigner myth that exists in the U.S., it's still taking a while for them to really be accepted outside of just Asian American circles. Yeah, I think there's still a really long way to go, but we're starting to see some changes now. And Asian Americans also occupy a lot of space in the, you know, DJ and electronic world, like Yeji or Tokimonsta, you know, these are all people who, and both of those are women too. So these are all people who managed to make it somewhat in the American scenes. 
as I said, I, I think we still have a long way to go to really hit the mainstream. Like, you know, so far, I haven't seen an Asian American artist really hit the mainstream, mainstream the way like Billie Eilish did, for example. Now, BTS is really blowing up in South Korea and, you know, internationally, but BTS is a Korean group. They're not a Korean American group. You know what I mean? So oh, yeah, I think, yeah. Yeah, I think it's still gonna take a while before Asian Americans can be accepted as like a truly integral part of the American fabric of music as opposed to, oh, these are Asians making Asian music and we love Asian music, you know? Because not necessarily. A lot of Asian Americans are more American than Asian. Yeah, that's the one thing I noticed about BTS, like in the last several months, you know, they were on The Tonight Show and did a lot of other things with their tour. And it really just seemed like they were being treated like a novelty act rather than real credible performing artists. It was like, okay, they're on The Tonight Show. Oh, look at, you know, how cute. Okay, now let's move back on to our regular programming. So, you know, there's definitely a lot of different perceptions there. And I'm glad you touched on that, of the difference between, you know, Asian performers from other countries and actually Asian Americans, because I definitely feel like the opportunities that are available are different. Yeah, I think so too. I know a lot of people, or I know a lot of people who know people who are Asian American entertainers who eventually went back to their home countries. Home countries are in parentheses, like they're ethnic countries. So right, right. Chinese Americans or Korean Americans who went back to China or Korea to start a career there because it was easier to break the ceiling there because they had the language abilities and they felt like their style was more accepted out there. And obviously, I don't know much about how that process works and how easy it really is for an Asian American to break this, you know, break the ceilings in, you know, the Chinese industry or the Korean industry. But what I do know is that it's really hard for Asian Americans to break the American ceiling. Now, there, I'm not saying that there aren't people who have succeeded in kind of indie circuits and Yeji and Mitsuki are examples that I can think of who are, they're indie artists and they have like gathered quite a big following. They're certainly not stars, like they're, they're, not, they're not A-listers, but they can certainly make a comfortable living. Now, you had mentioned Aquafina, who her being in the farewell, I think, was a huge moment, and especially her winning the Golden Globe Award for her performance in that. And then it, I guess if you combine that with what Parasite did through its festival run and then eventual awards to winning the, the Best Picture Oscar, what were your perceptions of that process over the last year for both somebody like Aquafina for the movie The Farewell and for Parasite? Hmm. So... I don't really feel any which way about Aquafina, so I'm just gonna put that out there. <laughs> like, mm. I'm not a fan. I don't dislike her. I <laughs> I think that it's great that she won an award, but she's also done some you know controversial things that people aren't necess don't necessarily agree with. I think all I have to say is that good for her, and mm. she really made the step from being like you know a novelty rapper into doing some more serious roles like in The Farewell, which I haven't watched, but I hear it's good. And also like Crazy Rich Asians, where, you know, that was one of the big Asian American centered films that came out. And I think it did a really good job about portraying, you know, the life and cultural struggles of an Asian American person who is dating an Asian person, a wealthy heir to like a multi-million dollar corporation, which 
I thought was an interesting story and definitely portrayed some of those tensions really accurately. And it was able to, you know, put Asian Americans in the center of the spotlight and for people to see it as mainstream, starting to see it as mainstream because, you know, Crazy Rich Asians memes, Crazy Rich Asians merch, popularity, like all that stuff was becoming mainstream. And it kind of put Asian Americans in the fore. Now, Parasite is, I think, a different story. And Parasite is a purely Asian film. I think that that's great. So here's where kind of my perspective muddies a little bit because I don't really see myself as fully Asian American and I don't really see myself fully as Asian. I can identify with both Asian American stories and Asian stories. Like, focused purely Asian narratives, I can acknowledge when something is Asian as opposed to Asian American, but I don't, I wouldn't say that I identify with one over the other. So I think that the fact that Parasite had such a huge success and was received so warmly by audiences across the world, including the US, which is so opposed to everything that's foreign in a lot of ways. And some people don't even bother to read subtitles. So I think that was a huge breakthrough for Asian films specifically. However, that's not to say that the success of Parasite is necessarily going to translate to a bigger embracing of Asian Americans in the American film industry because Parasite was created by the Korean film industry by Korean actors and Parasite also you know suffered the common snub of their actors so you probably know that Asian actors don't receive nominations for their performances but Asian directors do and Asian studios production companies they get recognized but the actors don't often get recognized you know even though Parasite broke so many barriers I'm so proud of it I'm so happy for it because it deserves it it's such a good film I think that there was still some inherent bias in how the acting was treated and it kind of shows that there's still room to grow on that. Oh, you're totally right. There really wasn't any mention of any of the actors specifically during all of this, you know, hype and the the run that it had. And some of those actors are some of the better ones working in Korea over the last several years. I totally get what you're saying. It's, I would say it's similar to how we were just talking about BTS in Parasite. There's that, I guess, I think what you termed, you know, it's that foreign, you know, aspect to it of like, it's almost more acceptable to to like it and to bring it into the culture because it is from somewhere else. And I'm glad you brought up Crazy Rich Asians as well because I feel like that movie and the success that it had was even more of a watershed moment for Asian American culture and moving that that forward than even Parasite was. Because I remember going to see Crazy Rich Asians in the theater and there was probably about 80 to 90% um, Asians in the auditorium that I saw it in and you could just tell there was such a joy and pride and people were it was like an event like they were dressing up you know the whole family was coming out and I just felt like this is something special that's happening right now kind of like what happened with Black Panther when that came out to me Crazy Rich Asians was the same vibe where Parasite I had a real struggle of getting a lot of my friends to go watch it 
And it wasn't until it started getting all of the big nominations and awards that people finally would go watch it. And even then, you know, it was a struggle because, you know, you had mentioned, you know, about subtitles. So many people that I know, they just won't watch a movie because it's subtitled and they come up with these crazy reasons. I'm like, what are you talking about? I mean, you're missing so many good films. It's crazy. It was interesting to see the difference there in how each of those two films was received in a totally different way. Yeah, I would absolutely say that the reception was very different and the marketing was very different. They're two very different films, obviously. One of them is a romantic comedy and the other one is a whatever you would call it. (laughs) Uh, You know, psychological horror drama comedy. But I really think that... Crazy Rich Asians was a watershed moment, as you said, for the Asian American community because they saw themselves reflected in the screen. They saw uh, Asians who had grown up in America. They saw, you know, going back to Singapore, meeting relatives who speak English, but like they're from Singapore, you know, like Asian Americans can relate to that. They saw actors that they're familiar with who are Americans, but who look like them speaking English and living like an American lifestyle. And you, of all people, must know this, but representation is really important. And I think that a lot of people who got their families together, got their communities together to go out and support Crazy Rich Asians, I don't think that they would have felt that Parasite was as relatable. Do you know what I mean? Oh, absolutely. You know, yeah, it was a totally different vibe. Exactly. Like, the the cultural experiences of the Asian American are completely different from the cultural experiences of the Asian in a lot of ways. They're similar in some ways, but they're different in other ways. I think that Parasite was directed towards like kind of an art film crowd until it started getting the big nominations then everyone went to watch it right but it really is like a like an Oscar film it's like a film made for the sake of film and a commentary on society and people can relate to it because of its universal themes of social inequality and late stage capitalism that sort of thing people can relate to the message of it and it didn't matter what color the people were in the film right oh it's based in Korea but the story could totally Totally happened in the U.S., right? Exactly. So that's how people perceive Parasite. <laughs> exactly. It is happening here. But I think people like Parasite, despite the fact that the actors were Asian and the, the movie was Asian, but people liked Crazy Rich Asians because the movie was Asian American. Right. And it was, it was like a bonding moment for the community. It was like a pride moment for the community of Asians who were born and grew up here and often felt like they didn't belong or felt like they weren't American enough to be on the big screen. And finally, they get to see these people who are just like them, who grew up just as, America, as an American as, as they were and acting on the big screen. So that was a huge moment for them, I think. One thing that a lot of people have told me that they saw in Crazy Rich Asians, or I guess that they didn't see, was that the Asians were not specifically there to do martial arts and they were not the villains of the story. They were just people. And it it was a little bit of a fantastic story in the way, I mean, it's called Crazy Rich Asians, so these people are crazy rich. So there's that element, but that's real too. That's that's something that exists in the Singapore culture and stuff like that, people are crazy rich. But it's just to not see those stereotypes at all in a movie that's just Asian people from beginning to end, I think was the big difference there in, in how they were perceiving what Asian American people are. 
Yeah, I think it's a big deal because of uh, it was a Hollywood film. It was a big studio Hollywood film with an entirely Asian American cast, barely any actors of any other ethnicity. Right. And yeah, you're right. They there wasn't any martial arts. There weren't like stereotypes of Asian women or stereotypes of Asian men. You know, you you don't have that yellow face stuff because everyone actually is an Asian actor. So we don't have the Mickey Rooney's or whatever. Plenty of other examples or you know Dragon Ladies or all the other Asian stereotypes that used to exist in film. So people are very happy about that. How much of an impact has the last like year and a half and those two movies in particular had an effect on you, if any? Yeah, I think it had an effect on me. I think it showed me that it is possible for Asian people or Asian people of an Asian background to resonate with people who aren't Asian and to resonate with a larger swath of the American population. And for me, that's really important because I talk a lot about my multicultural experience through my music. And I want it to be just an accepted part of me, not something that people will point out saying like, "Oh, that's a great Asian rapper," you know. But I want people to see my experiences first and foremost, and not look at my ethnicity as something that would other me. Does that make sense? Like they see me, they see my face, but they don't react in a "Oh, wow," like that's unusual sort of way. They just right, kind of not- take it take it like as it is they just take it at face value and then appreciate me for the content that i create that's my ultimate goal i want people to see me for the content that i create and i want people to americans and you know people in the west specifically to kind of be able to see my asianness as something normal and not foreign i think these movies showed me that it is possible it's not easy but it's possible it's important for you to be recognized just as an artist not as an Asian artist, I feel is what you're you're communicating there. Going back to your music, do you feel any sort of a responsibility to to push that forward? Or are you just more like, hey, I'm just gonna make my music because it's who I am? I don't feel any responsibility towards it. I actually talk about that a little bit in one of the songs on the new album, I Know, where I talk about people's perceptions of me and the way I react to those perceptions. Now, I don't particularly see myself, I think, as, you know, necessarily like a feminist activist or an Asian American activist. I am a feminist and I am Asian American, but I don't necessarily feel like a huge responsibility to push those movements forward. I just think of myself as someone who is happy to represent these movements if necessary. And for people who want to see myself in themselves, uh, I'm happy to do that. But most of all, my priority is creating music that speaks truth to me and to my experience. If it speaks true to me, then it will speak true to people who have similar experiences to me or even have different experiences. And we can all do the part of normalizing our experiences for a larger swath of the population who may not have the luxury of having those things normalized for them. I totally get that. And I I feel like in listening to your music, that really comes across where you're basically just presenting yourself as a human being, not as like any particular segment of humanity. So it's more of real thoughtful and mindful concepts instead of like really waving any particular flags. 
Yeah, I try not to wave any particular flags, and I think it's really obvious that I'm left. You know, like it's really yeah. obvious that I'm liberal. It's really obvious that I support justice and equality. And anyone who denies that I support any of those things just doesn't know who I am. Like <laughs>、right. they just don't know my personality. And I, if you don't know this basic thing about me, then I don't even care what you believe in, right? But like, I also don't feel the need to write songs specifically about feminism or specifically about Asian American issues. I just Like to inject those like where they seem appropriate. Like oh, you know, like this song could. When I'm telling this story in this song, it might bring up some of my experiences as an Asian American. Okay, great. Then I will include it a little bit. So I will always write my songs through the lens of someone who grew up as a woman and also Asian and Asian American. But I try not to write songs that are only specifically about those things. Like I'll always go through the perspective of it. But for the most part, you know, I like writing songs about concepts, thoughts, and experiences that are true to me as a person. One thing I wanted to touch on too, just with a bit of an unknown future in front of us right now. Like I know that's had a huge impact on what you're able to do without being able to tour that type of stuff. Right as your album has come out, what type of ways are you able to utilize to to get the word out there about your music right now? Yeah, so I have a Patreon where I stream full concerts, and then I have I do like Instagram or Facebook live streams sometimes. None of that is really a replacement for live touring because obviously there's nothing that can really replace that. Like there's a reason why people go see live music; it's for the experience, and、yeah. that experience is just kind of off limits to us right now. So I'm doing what I can, but I'm also not stressing up out too much about it. I finished the album; I released it because I know that the fans want to hear it. It wouldn't make Sense for me to delay it until the outbreak is over, and so I I released it. But I'm finding alternate ways to access my audience and get them interested. Yeah, some of these things I'm working on right now. You know, I'm working on commentary for every single one of the songs. I'm、oh, nice. gonna talk about how I created the songs. All this is gonna be on the Patreon. I have digital concerts scheduled, and I'm also working on like some visuals for each of the songs that I'm gonna post on social media. So I'm、oh, still doing.、Cool. My part engaging my audience, posting visuals that they can react to, that they can use to accompany the songs, asking them questions, that sort of thing. But as far as like distribution, I think that'll have to wait until I can be on the road again because it's quite hard to garner new audiences when you're not on the road. To me, it feels like you've been really fluent in being able to use things like Patreon and using social media. So I'm glad you're able to continue that and expand on it. Thank you. Yeah, I'm just trying to supplement what isn't there right now. It's not a replacement, but it'll do. That being said, I do hope that we can return to normal one day, and I can get back to being on the road. Because really, I think live performance is my bread and butter, and it's the thing that I enjoy doing the most. Now that I have this entire album of new songs, I really want to hit the road and perform all of them, and you know, have even more fun and be a performer again and make make the performance even better. Right. And, well, that's really the essence of hip hop and rap music. Too is that live performance and engaging with the audience. I totally understand where you're coming from with that. Yeah, I mean, there is one other route that I think I'm gonna be working on, and that ties into the theme of this podcast too. Is I am starting to think about 
potentially syncing my music to TV and film. Oh, nice. And I don't know where to start from that yet. What I do know is that it will probably be an effective way to distribute my music during a time where I can't get new audiences. But if I manage to get my music on a TV show or movie, then that will absolutely increase my audience level. However, I don't know how to do that yet. So it's going to be, a, it'll, it'll be a work in progress. I'm going to have to put some feelers out and think about what would be the best way. Well, I feel like that if you're able to do that, it's going to be in a really creative, thoughtful way. It's not like you're just going to be like, okay, all of a sudden a song like Party Hop or LEX or something like that or is going to be just thrown into a song just because, you know, I feel like you would have a lot more of an intent of like, how does this song fit, you know, either the TV show or the movie or, or what have you. So I'm glad you're really thinking along those lines. I mean, hey, like, if Marvel wants to feature Party Hop in one of their TV shows, like, <laughs> I don't care how appropriate it is, just take it, you know? Like, I know people right. who have gotten famous and gotten the ability to tour because their songs appeared in, like, Big Mouth or Into the right. Spider-Verse, you know? And, like, that's, like, what they're known for. They're like, oh, like, your song appeared in Into the Spider-Verse, cool. And I would love to have something like that. But yeah, I would hope that it's appropriate for the material. You talked about your Patreon, talked about your social media. Now your website is thelexiconartist.com. That's where the pretty much the focal point of where people can find you and branch out from there, right? Yep. On my website, you have everything from my music to my social media to my Patreon. I'll have that linked on the uh, website post for this podcast episode. For those of you listening right now, don't worry about writing anything down, but you can find Alter Ego right now through thelexiconartist.com, also on Apple Music, iTunes, Spotify, Bandcamp. So Lex, anything you want to add before we, we close things out? I don't think there's anything more. Thank you for having me on. This is a really fun conversation. Thank you so much for taking the time. I really appreciate it. And hopefully I'll talk to you again soon. You too. Take care now. This is Mark Morin on the 206.com podcast featuring the series on diversity in film with Lex the Lexicon Artist. Thank you for listening and have a great day. One more time, thank you to Lex the Lexicon Artist for being part of the show and for providing the music you are listening to, a song called Party Hop, which is the first single off her new album, Alter Ego. To find the links for Lex's website and music, go to the 206.com webpage for this interview. Coming up on episode 5 is local filmmaker and film critic Isabella L. Price. We always have a blast talking to each other, partly because we rarely agree on anything when it comes to movies, and this interview has no exception. As always, thank you for listening to the 206 Diversity in Film podcast series. 